Welcome to the Business Power Hour with Lisa and the Music Man. Live from Studio C at media stations in Bohemia, New York. We're on. And good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Business Power Hour with Lisa and the Music Man. The lovely young lady sitting on, is she sitting there? Yeah, she's there with her glasses on. That is the lovely Lisa Redino, and my name is Norman Wasserman, also known as the Music Man. Uh, those of you, oh, by the way, Lisa, you had something special this weekend, right? I Yes, I did. I was down in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, having my uh, middle child, my daughter, getting married. Wow. So she's all married off now and off to her honeymoon. Where is she traveling to? She's going into the mountains of Tennessee somewhere, and there, we were not to know of the disclosure of where they were, and the phones are turned off, so they're off having their time. All right. Well, God bless them, and congratulations yeah. to you and thank, all good thank stuff. You. Um, for those of you that follow us uh, over the years, and there are thousands of you, thank you, um, you'll know that every Tuesday evening... Um, at the end of the month, every month, the last Tuesday in each mm -hmm. month, we have what's called Give Back Tuesday. And Give Back Tuesday is our way to say thank you to all the charities that help everybody or the, their particular charity around the world. So that being said, uh, we're going to welcome our guest. No, before we welcome our guest, I got to give a thank you because I have this guest. Because without this gentleman, there would be no guest tonight. So I want to thank Bill Walters. And Bill, you're on not just because of this lovely, lovely lady that you have as a guest for us tonight, but you killed it on your show a few weeks ago. <laughs> you know, you and welcome. You really, really killed it. You know, and people just wanted to know how soon you were coming back or whatever. And I, if it wasn't for our guest, you wouldn't be sitting there tonight. So I just want to let you know, <laughs> we'd have to figure another date for you. But since you would, you helped us re, uh, get this guest and, and she's going to be absolutely sincere. I'm so excited that she's here. Really, she's a, she's a terrific woman. Um, thank you for that. And Transamerica, tell us what you do. So I help. Young families uh, get peace of mind by protecting uh, their assets for their children. And I specialize in helping uh, parents with special needs children fund their trusts uh, and get organized and get the help that they need and deserve. You do more oh. than that. You're also very involved with a lot of charities and you help uh, charities raise money and such. And that's what you and I, in addition to the TV show, have in common. And I want to thank you for all of that. And I want to thank you for introducing us to Barbara Ann Ferris. Barbara Ann Ferris is the executive founder and president of the International Women's Democracy Center. That's a tongue twister in the it Washington, sure D.C. Barbara, welcome. Yes. Welcome to our show this evening. Yes, thank welcome. you thank so you. much. So much yes. for being here. Thank you for having me. It's it's our pleasure. And, and the, the people that are going to be listening and watching in tonight are really going to get a, 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 a not a mouth. Well, they're going to get a mouthful. They're going to get an earful. But you're going to get, get an, an earful. earful. Exactly, exactly right. <laughs> First of all, yes. if you can explain to us, what is the International Women's Democracy Center and what is it all about? So in uh, 1995, I established the International Women's Democracy Center I was, prior to that, the Women in Development Director for the Peace Corps and had the privilege of being on the team that opened up the former Soviet Union countries. And as we were going into these countries, you meet 
the community leaders and you ask them if you had a volunteer, what would you like them to do? And the women kept saying, we were run- we want to run for office. We want to learn to run for office. And it was real interesting, you know, when you come from uh, a functioning democracy, if you want to run for office, you get your friends together, you file your paperwork and you do it. By the third country, I was hearing the same thing. And it occurred to me that they didn't know how to do it, but they had run the Soviet Union for 70 years. The women were the economists and the leaders across all sectors of the economy. And so when the walls came down, they wanted a seat at the table and didn't know how to get it. So I set up IWDC in 1995, and I went to the Fourth World Conference on Women in China, the United Nations Conference in Beijing, China, and I hosted a workshop as my feasibility study, um, and I called it How You Make the Decision to Run for Office. Can I interrupt you just one second? Sure. Because, I, I need, first of all, let, let me give out, this is a call-in show, so if anybody has, has a question for Barbara as the show goes on, the number is 631 631- Nine eight seven eight four seven seven. That's six three one nine eight seven eight four seven seven, and we will hook you up uh, with a question, you know, for Barbara. But I, I would like to know. You just didn't wake up one morning when when you were young and said, "This is what what you wanted to do." Tell us a little bit about your history, and then we'll jump back to to where you were with the, the explanation. Uh, How did you get it started? It sort of happened that way. You know, I worked on Capitol Hill for a woman member of Congress when there were only 17 women in Congress. And there was no bathroom off the House floor for these women back in the late 70s. And so when you look at that level of inequity, it's astounding. And so I and I, I worked there soon out of college on the Hill. So my awareness level was increased tremendously. And uh, in that journey, you know, I learned so much about how our government works and the purpose of government. And I also learned a lot of things. One thing that really struck me was drugs for heart disease were only tested on men and women's bodies are different. And so the the congresswoman who I worked for and the others worked hard to get these drug companies and the FDA to to look at equity in drug testing because right. women's symptoms for a heart attack are very different than a man's symptoms. So it it was sort of slowly shaping my mind in terms of the depth and level of inequity across all sectors of the economy. So I left Capitol Hill and joined the Peace Corps. And I went to Morocco um, for two years and I taught high school English and I organized health clubs and did a lot of community health work. And then I came back and did my master's degree at American University and continued to do uh, consulting work um, in Africa until I took the job at Peace Corps. And so after five years at Peace Corps, I set up my own nonprofit and went to the United Nations Fourth World Conference in China. What was the nonprofit for? Um, Our mission is to strengthen women's global leadership. So what does it take to do that? And it's with a focus on increasing women's participation in politics, policy, and decision-making within their own governments. And so we do workshops. We're a a global training center, and we train women 
how to run for office. Here's how you run a campaign. Here's how you make the decision to run for office. What do you do after you decide you're going to run for office? Who so do you research? So you're giving them tools the and skills, this tools and skills and the step-by-step -step process of what's needed. Do you really want to go this route? What is your expected outcome? Things and like that. What are the cultural challenges you have? Right. Who, who you know, people... if you're in a Muslim country and they have elections, how's that going to fly? Right. Are you going to be able to If you're in a country with nine political parties Ooh. and you don't have access to radio or television because you're not the ruling party, how do you get your message out? So we do a lot of cross-cultural learning. How and many languages what are the do you things speak? Culturally and the ways culturally that you can communicate with your voter. Barbara, how many languages do you speak? Uh, uh, four. Four. And the politicians that you've helped in the United States, um, can you mention any names that you've, people that you've worked with? I, we don't work with politicians. But Yeah, but you have been involved with politicians over your time, I would imagine. Oh, often. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've worked with, Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney from New York, right. who led one of our programs um, after the Good Friday agreements were signed. I went to Belfast and worked with women leaders there for six years. And we wow. created a program called the Community Advocate Mentor Program, where women leaders from Northern Ireland came to the U.S. for two weeks of training and were partnered with a lobbyist and a member of Congress to take from our system pieces that would be applicable to them as they formed their new government. And Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney led the way on that. Um, and she recruited other members of Congress to join us. It was a, an extraordinary program. And then that program evolved for five years and two women from Northern Ireland actually went to a peace conference in um, West Bank, Gaza. And so the next three years of the program we brought Israeli and Palestinian women to DC and they shadowed members of Congress and lobbyists. And the key to this program, believe it or not, both with the women from Northern Ireland and uh, the Middle East, in Northern Ireland, we put a Catholic and a Protestant as roommates and they had to pick their roommates before they came to country. And for the Middle East program, an Israeli and a Palestinian had to pick their roommates before they came to the US for the program. Interesting. So and it how was did, very interesting. How did you know? those dynamics work for the ladies? So, you know, the first day, it was real interesting, like all the Catholics and all the Protestants. And, and I got them in a hotel where, where breakfast was included so that they had to go to the breakfast room. I mean, there's nice. strategies for all of this. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the first day they're like this. And the second day they're getting closer. By the third day, they pushed all the tables together. Nice. And, and came to realize they got the same problems with their hair as they do with their husbands and their kids. So it was really um, transforming on many fronts. Nice. And the interesting thing for both of these groups of women coming to the, to the US, it occurred to them that people don't really care about religion as much as they do in their own countries. And I said, well, that's the reason we take you out of your country and bring you here. You know, and I always say, hey, in America, pay your taxes and mow your lawn and you'll get along okay. So, right. you know, they come from a place 
where every single day these pressures are on them. And so the idea is to take them out of that environment into a neutral environment where nobody's looking at them as a Catholic or a Protestant or as an Israeli or a Palestinian. They're not even looking at them. You know, they're getting no. on the metro and getting on the bus and just right. blending. Right. You're you're going about your daily business to stay on this planet and support your family. And that's right. just your small unit. It's not but the, the powerful world. piece of these programs, believe it or not, was when we partnered with members of Congress and, you know, these women from these regions of conflict. You know, I said, it's your job to inform these members of Congress what your daily life is like because they don't have that experience yet. They're legislating policy to influence that experience. Yeah. So it was a very successful program. Unfortunately, um, the Israeli-Palestinian program was funded for three years by, among others, uh, Steven Spielberg and the Righteous Persons mm. Foundation. It was wonderful, but then Bernie Madoff happened, and that turned all of uh, the nonprofits upside down. I expect that it did. Barbara, yeah, it was horrid. Why are wow. you in this profession? What made you do this? To be perfectly honest... I watched my mother do double duty. My father was sick growing up and my mother ran the house and ran the family business. And she was at it on average 17, 18 hours a day. And I saw the inequities of that. And I thought if she's doing it, women are doing it all over the world. And in fact, women work an average of 17 hours a day in both household support and income generating activities. I believe it. I watched it in my house. I'm one of six. Yeah. And my father's wages were not to my mother's liking. And in the 50s and 60s, my mother was gathering the kids' um, bank savings mm -hmm. and buying real estate to invest and take in tenants because wow. she had a workforce. And yeah. she did that back in the 50s and 60s. Wow. And yeah. And she That's did very that. forward thinking of your mom. Yes. And she ended up learning about the stock market in the 70s from her brother. And she's like, oh, had I known about that, I would have just done that, not done with the houses. But she got a nice accumulation of some funds and started uh, distribu distributing them to the kids, which there's six of us, Yeah, every few years so that she wouldn't have to pay too much for them. But you know, Lisa, those were the days in the 70s where women couldn't sign for a mortgage. Right. Well, she in the 40s, when my father went to war, which she made it to 100. And uh -huh. we just lost her two years ago. <clears throat> but when he went to war, she sold his the house that they were living in while he was in the war out in Nugany. And that was unheard of back then. Right. But she saw her neighborhood going bad. And she wanted to relocate herself and the kids. And she yeah. did. Smart yeah. woman. Yes. And that her she mother... Was. Uh, if you get to know uh, Lisa a little bit better, um, she has learned all these things for her mom. And she has property and she has businesses and such around the country with her husband. And she learned oh. things very, very well. No, thank Congratulations. you. Thank you. That's great. Yes. So tell us more about you. What, you know, share with the audience an interesting story that you've come across. So we were in Turkey doing workshops, training women how to run for office. 
And, you know, oftentimes in emerging democracies, women work in political parties, but they never lead the political party. They just don't. Right. And so we spent some time uh, doing a workshop on um, campaign management, but we, we spent a good deal of time on budgeting and finance and fundraising to help them understand where the money comes from and where it goes. Right. And we finished the workshop. And this woman stood up and said, I finally understand the money. I'm going to run to be the party leader. And she did and she won. It was great. That's incredible. Yeah. Very nice. So, and then we worked in Botswana and and we, we partner with established local organizations. So we partnered with the National Women's Association in Habarone. And there's nine political parties there. So you know, you have to navigate this and you, we don't work with political parties for the exact reason democracies aren't that well developed and parties don't work alongside each other. I mean, we barely do here and there's only two parties. So when you work with the national women's association, it benefits everyone, you know, it's for the greater good of women and their families. Right. And so we work, uh, we set up a campaign management training we worked with local trainers. We did it in local language, Setswana. And for all of our workshop participants, we make them agree to take what they learn and go back to their communities and train 25 women. Ooh. So we do the workshop. We provide them with the tools and skills on how you run a campaign, mm-hmm. from how you make the decision to run, how to do research, how to present yourself as a candidate, how to write a press release. How do you do media outreach and communications when you don't have access to television or radio? What are the traditional ways in this particular culture that you communicate? How do you get out the vote? How do you approach the voter? How do you know where the voter is? What are the requirements in your country to register to run for office? Is there a fee? What's the timeline? You know, many countries, you can't campaign on the day of election, which is a really great idea. Yes. So we go through this whole training and then we spend a half a day training the workshop participants how to train others so that they take all their materials back to their own communities and they're well prepared to not only learn the tools and skills that we give them, but to share it with others because our focus is really to build capacity. Barbara, are are there set times during the course of the year where, where you hold these seminars or training courses? No, it really depends, Norman, on the election cycles in the countries where we work. So, if people, And most places, election cycles are every five years. So if people want to uh, become part of the organization and be trained by you and your staff, what do they have to do? So send us uh, an email at info at iwdc.org. And we'll form a partnership. We do have a program in the United States called the Pipeline Project. Could you just repeat that again so people can write it down? Info at IWDC.org. All right. And if people want to reach your organization, what number do they call to? to... 202-530-0563. Could you repeat that? 202 202- Five three zero zero five six three. All right, great. 
So in, in the U.S., we have a program called the Pipeline Project. And the idea is to train the next generation of leaders in the technical skills of how you run a campaign. And not everybody wants to be a candidate. Some people want to work the back of the campaign. They want to do communications. They want to do fundraising. And so we provide all those skills. Um, And then outside the U.S., we also have parliamentarian workshops. People get elected to parliaments in their country. Right. And they're the first time elected. They don't know what to do. Um, So we work on how you develop legislation, how you analyze policy, and then how you work with constituents. And then what do you do for reelection? What are your requirements? So it's really a lot of technical skill building. How long now do do you ever go to colleges or high schools and get in front of the kids to help them understand what you're doing? Always. Yeah, we I do a lot of public speaking. Excellent. All over the world, actually. And, you know, what what people need to understand truly and and the last election, last two election cycles really demonstrated this. Your vote is really important. That is your voice in your democracy. That is so true. Your vote is important. Use your vote. How often are there elections in these different countries? I mean, uh, usually every five years. Every five years. Yeah. And that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what position they're running for. It's it's the same five years. Usually. Slowly, it's beginning to change in other democracies as they're evolving. But in many of the new emerging democracies, elections are usually every five years. Now they can call a special election or cancel an election. That happens often. So why do they why do they cancel an election? Why do they cancel an election? I understand the special election, we do it here, but why would they cancel an election? Oh, they cancel an election for fear the opponent is leading and gonna win. Well, that's why there's an election. (laughs) Well, I know other countries, too, that don't operate fairly. Yeah, yeah. that ruling party has controls a lot of the time. And where, yeah. do you, where, you do, where do you provide all these services? We go to the country. We partner with local organizations, and we, we work in the country with established organizations and it's usually a two-week process and then prior to that we work with them to write a grant proposal to get the project funded and our funding is usually one to three years because it takes that long for behaviors to change and the learning is oftentimes a steep curve when this is a first-time experience you know the beauty of America is we actually grow up in civics and you don't think about it, right? We have right. a stop sign. You don't run a stop sign. There's consequences. Right. Okay. The so laws are in if, place. if you need a stop sign, you know what to do. You get signatures of 50% of the residents on your street, and then you take the proposal to council and council discusses it and passes it. So, so the interesting thing from a, a civil society perspective is we're surrounded by it as we grow up. We're surrounded by you shovel your sidewalk, you, you park at a meter, 
Here's an interesting story. So we were working with a group of women mayors from Bulgaria, and we brought them to the States, and we did a workshop up in Maine. And we took them to, what is it, Freeport, Maine, where L.L. Bean Freeport, is? yep, L.L. Bean. I lived there. <laughs> oh, okay. And so, you know, we're walking around the town, and, and one of the women, one of the Bulgarian mayors said, Barbara, I have a question. I said, what's your question? She goes, how do you get people to park on the street? You know, and at first you're laughing, going, what are you kidding me? They'll tow your car. And I said, well, what what do you mean? What's the problem in Sofia? What She said, oh, people park in front of stores and doors and on the sidewalk. And so I had to go way back and start with the horse and carriage. And then the development of the car. And then with too many cars, the parking space. And then the parking meters, and then you pay to park. And then if you get a ticket that you didn't think was fair, you have an opportunity to challenge that. And it's called an appeal. And, And they were really blown away by these processes that, that we were just raised in. I mean, if you get a ticket and the meter was broken, you're going to appeal the ticket. You're not going to pay a $50 ticket, but what's inherent in us is not so in many other places. Right. So, you know, for me, no matter who's sitting in the White House, I can understand why people want to come here. Because they often say, you know, the Arabic word is bakshish. It's his bribe. And um. when it, I do a lot of work with refugees and immigrants, and I always say, what, what is it that you like about America? And they go, if you go to the, the store or the motor vehicle to get your license, the price of the license is on the wall and that's the price you pay. Right. You, you know, don't have no, to pay more. There's no bribing. There's no bakshish. You pay the 35 or $50 and you get it and you walk out the door. Right. But again, we don't think in those terms. Right. Now you just do it online. You're done. You get it in the mail. You put your sticker on your car and you go your way. Right. And the parking situation Yes. How many in New York are double and triple parking, causing traffic jams, but that doesn't last long when the authorities are nearby. Right. Yep. So so it's a bigger picture in terms of um, what we do from a training perspective. And it's helping people look at policies that impact daily life. And if you're going to run for office, for elected office, you know, that's the question. Why are you running? And that goes back to the reason, you know, men often run for elected office because they believe power is owed to them. And women run for elected office because they want to change things in their community. And I think I mentioned that, you know, Barbara Roberts, who rose to be governor of Oregon, was a great example. She had a, a son with special needs and wanted him to have a little more attention at school. Mm-hmm. And they ignored her wishes. She got so mad, she ran for local council or PTA and continued to fight on behalf of her son because there were others in the same position. Right. She kept getting ignored. So, and she ran for state house, state senate, lieutenant governor. She just ran for governor and won. And she was one of the best governors Oregon had. But it nice. goes to the point that most of the time, Historically, women have run for office to change situations. To fill a need. Yeah. And the Mm -hmm. Interparliamentary Union took a look at 
quota systems. We don't have quota systems here. A lot of countries uh, have quota systems that say 30% of your elected bodies must be women. So they looked at the local consuls in India with a quota Mm -hmm. system. And uh, they did a survey of women who have been in office for five years where there was 30% on the consuls. And what they discovered were that services were getting delivered, budgets were getting balanced, and corruption was decreasing. So it was real interesting from the perspective of how women govern. Right. And how they come to solutions with a completely different set of eyes. Because women work 17 hours a day in household support and income generating activities. Right. So, yeah. Okay, what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a short break so we can pay our bills here. And we're going to be right back with the Business Power Hour with Lisa and the Music Man and our special guest, Ms. Barbara Ferris. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Friend Entertainment USA. My name is Norman Wasserman. I am also known as the Music Man. Let me just tell you a little bit about Friend Entertainment. We put on concerts for charities, and we do that everywhere from New York to Las Vegas. We do R&B, Motown, rock and roll, jazz, whatever it is that you wish, Friend Entertainment will deliver the best of the best for you and your charity. Here are some of the names of the talent that have performed with us on our stage. Stevie Wonder, Tina Turner, The Temptations, Earth, Wind & Fire, the one and only ELO, Elton John himself, Cool and the Gang, and the fabulous Donna Summer. Go to our website, friendentusa.com. That's www.friendentusa.com. Or feel free to call us at 631-698-9696. 631-698-9696. And we'll see you at the next show. My name is Lisa Rodina. I am a commercial loan advisor and broker. Have you been finding that your business's cash flow is not where you need it to be? Have you found yourself taking from your personal accounts to meet your business's obligations? Have you found that those quick solutions of quick money are starting to get awfully expensive? My job is to find the right funding products for my clients so they can get back to working in their business and give me the task of finding the best options for their situation. Give us a call today to learn more. 516-268-0350. Hi, everybody. My name is Norman Wasserman, and next to me is Lisa Rodino. Lisa and I host a TV podcast show called The Business Power Hour with Lisa and the Music Man. So what does the Business Power Hour do? We are here to talk about you and your business. We will put you on air for one hour to highlight your business in front of thousands of viewers worldwide, helping you generate more leads to grow your business. And we do this every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. right Right here. here. What are you doing? I'm keeping you on point. (laughs) All right, welcome back to the Business Pow Wow with Lisa and the Music Man and our special guest, Barbara Ann Ferris from the International Women's Democracy uh, Center in Washington, D.C., and our other special guest, Bill Walters from Transamerica Corporation, who enabled us to have the terrific Barbara Ferris on our show this evening. So again, thank you very much, Bill. 
Okay, th- you're welcome, Norman. Thank you. Okay, uh, he's muted. Okay, so. Norman. Thank you. All right, you did, you did very good. I like that. Okay, let's let's discuss now. I, 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 we 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 created something new uh, on our profile, and uh, it's something we're going to do right now. And we're going to ask you a, a series of questions that I know that are very very important to you in in your everyday life. And the first question that we're going to go into is that um, you were a legislative assistant uh, to a member of Congress for four years, and then you left to join the Peace Corps. What was your experience like as a Peace Corps volunteer, and where did you serve, and what did you do there? And to be as, you know, as, as broad as you possibly can, let us really know. So... Uh... I sort of did it backwards. Many Peace Corps volunteers go right out of college. I worked four mm-hmm. years on the Hill before I went. And I will say that working on Capitol Hill for me was like graduate school because I really learned and understood government and the purpose of government and what government is supposed to do for the people. And I had the privilege of working there when Tip O'Neill was Speaker of the House. Mm-hmm. And it was, for me, like a grad school experience. It was just tremendous learning every day. And those were the days when, you know, members of Congress across the aisle would politely disagree with each other on the House floor, and then they'd go out to dinner at night or they'd play cards. And so, you know, there were no divisions like there were today, like there are today. So I I quit and joined the Peace Corps. I went to Morocco. and the great thing about that is everybody coming in is different. You're coming from different backgrounds and different places and different experiences, but you're thrown into the situation where basically you're all the same. You're in a new country, you have no language, no cross culture, and mm-hmm. you're all alone. And you're allowed to take 80 pounds with you and that's it. So it, it was an immersion in culture and uh, you know, those were the days before cell phones and computers. And so in country, you know, we did three months of language training and cross-cultural training. And uh, I learned Moroccan Arabic and French. And you don't really learn it until you go to your site. And I went nine hours out of the capital. I was alone at my site. Um, there was one other American there, but it was a new site. So And we were high school English teachers in a place that had never had Americans before. And it was a small town of 2000 people, Mm -hmm. not a lot of transportation. We were out in the middle of nowhere. And so it's a journey. It's a personal journey because you start out with a sense of altruism and you end up learning more and getting more than you can give because it forces you in a great way to look at a situation where people don't have nearly what we have in the United States. And you learn, what do I want as opposed to what do I need? And so it's a it, it's a really great journey. The other piece is you're thrown in with other Americans that are not like you, but obviously they're like you for the adventure and the experience. And at first you go, oh, I would never be friends with these people in America. It's just so strange. That's right. But it forces you to come together and appreciate differences. And and you essentially become family with the people you serve 
because there are days where if you speak one more word of Arabic, you're going to lose it. Oh no. <laughs> you know? Yes. And, and, but culturally Morocco was exquisite. The food was great. We lived our lives according to fruits in season and I hiked most of the mountains, but you know, the beauty is we ate every day, no preservatives at all. Nice. That's really the case of most developing countries. You know, you mm -hmm. eat what's there. There's right. no even logistics. Yeah. Right. There's no logistics. There's no transportation to get foods to other locations. Yeah. So so it was an extraordinary experience for me. And it was also um an opportunity to be in a Muslim country, Muslim country and see firsthand the inequities that women experience. Right. So it was a, a good learning and, lesson for me. And the personally. caste system, too. We I actually went to um, Mumbai and Goa and we got to see the slums and yeah. a lot of different things. So yeah. there's, no, there's not a caste system in Morocco. It's a little different. Barbara, yeah. when, and, when, and, you, when you were in Morocco or in any of the other countries, did you come across any danger? Did anybody, you know, whether it be the, the self-made military that's there, like what's going on in Sudan. I'm sure it wasn't to that extent. But have you come across anything that was really possibly hazardous for you? Oh, yeah. I got caught in three coups. Ooh. Yeah, 81, I got caught in the coup in the Gambia. And I got caught in the coup in the Comoros Islands. And we were uh, driving across the Sahara Desert. And we had gotten to Niamey Niger. And we were trying to get to the Ivory Coast. But there was a coup in Burkina Faso, which was at the time Upper Volta, formerly. So, oh, yeah, I had a bayonet pointed at my forehead in the jungles of West Africa. And it, it's when it occurred to me, oh, this is what it means when they say you disappear without a trace. But I, I was in a, <clears throat> a bush taxi with a whole bunch of women who just didn't have time for this. You know, they had to get to the market. They had stuff to do. And I just were these natives or with it was he with these they workers? were host country women, they were Senegalese women, yeah. Uh -huh. And they had, you know, taken these young soldiers and read them the riot act and took the cab driver and put him back in the cab and <laughs> off we went. And I'm like, I'm sticking with these girls. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. cool. I like that. So so it, it was um it was interesting. I'm here today, so I'm grateful, happily grateful. Heck of a learning nice. experience. Yeah. Yeah. So have you lived and worked in over 100 countries around the world? I have. I have been very privileged to do that. Um, when I was the Women in Development Director for the Peace Corps, uh, you know, we managed to look at programs in, in a lot of the Peace Corps countries and work with Peace Corps volunteers and Peace Corps host country staff. And then through my nonprofit work at the International Women's Democracy Center, a lot of our work has been overseas uh, in country. You know, now, oh. now, how much time do you spend in Washington versus traveling now? Well, since the pandemic, actually, Norman, we have not traveled. We've done everything like everybody in the world on Zoom. We've mm -hmm. done our training on Zoom. We've done fundraising on Zoom. We've, everything has been, you know, online and countries are just now starting to open up. But as you can see, things have changed. Tremendously in terms sure. of um, access, in terms of who's vaccinated, in terms of 
rules and regulations. And so it, we're slow to open up in terms of, of going back. Excuse me. IWDC has special consultative status to the United Nations. And this was the first year that our annual meeting at headquarters was both online and in person. How many and you times, have that option. How many times have you spoken um, at the UN? Pardon me? How many times have you spoken at the UN? I speak annually every year at a couple of the meetings. And we work closely with the NGOs and the governments that come and I attend an annual meeting in March, uh, the Commission on the Status of Women. And so there's expert group meetings, there's caucuses, uh, you know, and it's, it's for all the criticism that the UN gives, people need to understand it is the one place in the world where nations and leaders and non-governmental reps can come together and dialogue and disagree without the threat of violence. And it's important in the, in the global community. And I, I'm a very strong supporter of the United Nations and the United Nations programs. The World Food oh, Program yes. is an extraordinary program that that alleviates hunger and starvation all over the world. They do monumental work. So what would you say to a young person that wants to travel but doesn't know where to get started? Get a passport first. Good and idea. that's yeah. taking extra time nowadays, I hear. Yes, it's three to six months, I heard. Yes. So, but you can pay to expedite it if you've Absolutely. got a bushel of money. Right. Uh, I would say get a passport and figure out where do you want to travel? What's your, what do you want to see? What interests you? Do you want to go on a vacation that's environmentally focused? Do you want to go on a vacation that's adventure focused? You know, and... I would say go for it, you know, make a plan, find out what the rules and regs are of the country you want to go to. But mm -hmm. I'm a strong advocate that a every American should leave this country once to see what they have. Mm -hmm. And B, travel is the best education in the world. So for all the American families that I've met who are living and working overseas, their children are just so much smarter and so much more aware because they're living in a global community. Right. And it's really a great gift that these parents give their kids. You know, when I did a polar expedition to Antarctica, we went to one of the research stations. And the Treaty of Antarctica is centered around an agreement of the 45 nations that signed the treaty on peace so that there can never be a war over territory and that it was really focused on research. So we went to a research station with these uh, Argentinians and it, it was great. You know, it gets to 90 below in the winter. It's cold. Right. And they're down there for one year. But it, it was so great. We we talked to the young kids and they were just so typically teenagers. So <laughs> how do you like living in Antarctica with your parents who are doing research? And they're like, we hate it. We miss our friends. Of you know, course. typical <laughs> teenagers. But they had internet access and you mm -hmm. know, Zoom and everything. But um and it was very instructive to for me <clears throat> to have that opportunity to go to Antarctica and and to to have that experience of being on that continent. Nice. It was really mind-blowing. You know, I, the yes. next question that I'm going to ask you is is uh, a, thrill, a, a great question for me to, to go to you. Um, 
you ran for Congress. I did. Right. And you traveled around with First Lady Hillary Clinton when she was leading uh, women in democracy conferences around the world. What I did. Would, what would you say to women that, who are thinking of running for elected office but might be kind of like reluctant uh, or think that they don't have the right training to do them? Look, you got to get started doing something first. <laughs> You know, you, you you can't be ex, ex, an expert in everything that you do from the get-go. So you need to learn. How would you answer uh, those questions? Well, with all due respect, Norman, no man ever went to training to learn to run for office. They just That's, ran because they that, believed power was owed to them. Exactly. So to any woman, I would say, do it. And And it's not easy. It's a full-time job. And if you're going to put yourself out in the public, then you have to be prepared to deal as a public figure. But it's an extraordinary experience, an extraordinary experience. And if you're committed to the concept of public service, it's a very joyful thing. It's a hard thing. And, you know, raising money for my organization is very easy. I'm very passionate about women's equity. Raising money for yourself running for Congress is a whole different ballgame. You know, you're raising money to buy signs and media time and, and you know, pay staff. And it's, it's, it's a very different experience, but it was a great experience. And it taught me a lot about the process. And it taught me a lot about how the process works and doesn't work and what the flaws are. How was but for it any woman that is thinking of it, I would strongly 100% encourage you to do it. Send me a note. I'll tell you how to do it. How was working with Hillary? Oh, it was extraordinary. Extraordinary. She's hilarious. She has a great sense of she humor. She does, right. She's smarter than all of them. All of them. And that's the thing that, that everybody was, you know, the men got really afraid of. She yes. came in to fix health care, and they were just all too scared. She, she's got a brilliant, brilliant mind, but she's also very caring. And she pays close attention to her staff and her team. I was one of 30 people that was invited to travel with her. And, you know, as I say, not because we shop at TJ Maxx, but because of the work that I do. And mm -hmm. um, she she's so extraordinary. We did three fundraisers with her. And she gets out of that car and meets me. And she is so, so informed. So informed. She knew about all of IWDC's programs. She invited us to the White House when we had the women from Northern Ireland because she and Bill Clinton were very instrumental in helping get that country to the peace process with George Miller. George Miller? No, who was the senator from Maine? Um. Oh, I can't remember off the top of my head. George. Was, you know who I'm talking about. Yes, I do. Um. Help me out. Uh, uh, McGovern? No. no, no, no. no. Uh, U.S. Senator from Maine. You mean is no. he currently in office? No. 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 But he was the, look up the um, special consul to the Northern Ireland peace agreement. Um, I don't remember who it was, but while you're looking, um, it was an absolute joy to have the privilege. And and she 
offered, generously offered to do fundraisers for IWDC. And let me tell you, you raise a quarter million dollars in a day because everybody wants to show up. It was wonderful. Mm. And she's very gracious. And yeah, they want to and, be in her presence. They want to feel it. Yeah. She's yeah. just, she's really, really, really a brilliant woman with a very gifted mind and a very generous heart. You know, and a sad thing is, some of the opposition spent a decade painting her as someone she's absolutely That's, not. Exactly. That George was Mitchell. George Mitchell, correct. Thank you very yes. much. You're welcome. Yeah. I knew that. Right. I just wanted to find out if you guys could figure it out. Yeah. Hey, referencing, you know, I learned library skills way back when. Now we have it electronically, right? There you go. <laughs> Tell me how the, the pandemic affected uh, your organization. So, you know, like everybody, I was actually on my way to the UN when I got an email saying everything's been canceled. It was March 12th or 13th. I had a train ticket and was like, what? I had so, a wedding. <laughs> so, you know, we sort of hunkered down. And then um, I had the really great privilege and fortune to bubble with six families in the neighborhood. So we all had dinner together and did puzzles together and tried to figure out what to do. And then I started to do volunteer work. And I was a grocery getter for our mutual aid organization, which is just a local organization of neighbors helping neighbors. And we started, I'd get up at seven in the morning and go grocery shopping because they had that window of seven to nine. And then, um, and then I would deliver groceries right out of the trunk. So I would call people that needed groceries and they would just come out and get it. No touching, no anything. And then that evolved into uh, co-founding a pantry, Feed the Family Pantry in D.C., so that we could reach a greater number of people. And and now Feed the Family Pantry is expanding its reach. And we are working with the village movement um, to provide food food boxes because the issue of food insecurity among seniors is at 12%. Oh, and goodness. that's really scary. And you think about it, and people are living on fixed incomes. Right. But their taxes are going up, their insurance is going up, and their food costs right. are going up, and they're still living on fixed incomes. And then also during that time, we worked very closely, as we have done for 30 years through our Welcome Refugee Program. When Kabul fell, we were in the middle of helping arriving Afghan refugees get settled in D.C. Mm -hmm. So we have a really big team of volunteers and, um, you know, we got apartments, we furnished apartments, we got driver's license, helped them get driver's license, helped them buy cars, get them signed up for ESL, get the kids vaccinated, get them in school, clothes, every single thing you could think of for people who escaped a war with nothing but the clothes on their back and walked away from everything they knew and had right. and owned knowing they could never go back. And that, that emotional trauma is pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. coming to a place where you don't have language skills and yes. you're told to function in three months. So my Peace Corps experience, you know, over the years has really prepared me for that. And so I was very well prepared <clears throat> to manage 300 volunteers and put them in teams to take a family and making them understand this is not one and done. 
This right. is your family. They're having Thanksgiving and Easter and Christmas and Passover with you for the rest of your life. Right. And, you and you're going to their Aid Mubarak and everything else. Right. So it's been a great journey. It's been a challenging journey. A lot, a lot of the Afghan refugees are struggling across the country to get on solid ground, but there's also extraordinary volunteers helping. Barbara, nice. have you had a, a chance or uh, in in your travels to go to Ukraine since? I have the, not the been war? to Ukraine. Okay, so Barbara, you mentioned about help. Could you give your phone number for anyone that is interested in working with you? Sure, two zero two five three zero zero five six three. Okay, and one more time in case anyone missed it. Two zero two five three zero. 0563. Excellent. Now, if people want to make a donation to you, or well, better yet, before we get to the donations, do you have any special events coming up for the general public? Um, for women? We have on our website, iwdc.org, global gifts. And we are highlighting handmade baskets and hummingbirds, beaded hummingbirds from the women in Guatemala at Lake oh. Atalan. And um, you know, when the pandemic happened, they their tourism industry was shut down. And these women really struggled because they depended on the sale of hummingbirds to pay for school fees and medicines and seeds for their gardens. So that and many other things are featured on our website, Global Gifts. So if you go to iwdc.org and you can shop and we keep, you know, people donate things so that we add to it every day. Nice. Yeah. Thank How you. many people work in your office in Washington? Uh, we have four That's staff it? here. And, you know, there was a time, Norman, when we had a multi-million dollar budget and a huge staff. And I decided about 15 years ago that really our mission is to build the capacity of, of our partners and our organizations that we work with. So we downsized considerably and began to build the capacities of our overseas teams. And so we really work with our overseas partners around the world to write proposals, to get them funded, multi-year grants, so that they can grow their capacities and do the work that they wanna do as an organization, be it voter rights, legal literacy, educating women, healthcare, whatever. I can't get over nice. you, you do all of this with four people locally. We have a great team of volunteers as well. I, I would imagine. But yes, you we are, have extraordinary volunteers. You are an absolutely remarkable woman. I am so happy and proud that you were able to, to be on the show tonight. You, you know what? We're a small local show. We got a pretty large following. Yeah. But to have somebody of your elk on on this show is uh, uh, it's it's a it's an honor. It's absolutely Thank you. you know. Yeah, with, I'm happy to do it. it. I'm happy, you know, for more people to learn about our work and to learn yeah. about opportunities and to get engaged. You know, I'm a firm mm -hmm. believer that volunteer work is your rent for living in a free democracy, and I believe everyone has to give back in some way, shape, or form. That's why we have Give Back Tuesdays. Yep. Perfect. Yes. Here we are. You Give know, Back Tuesdays. When we have to, we add an extra day or two to get the charities in that that really need it. And that's that's what uh, my other my main business is all about. And that's what 
Get Back Tuesdays are all about. So I really want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I'm, you know, I'm sure Lisa feels the same way. Oh, Bill, yes. Bill, you know, I love you. Uh, th th this was a, a great situation to have yes. you here. And I hope that we can do this again because you got a, I haven't even touched a portion of the stuff that, that yes. you had sent us. So, and it just, just sensational. And, yes, uh, and again, I, I look forward to having a one-on-one -on -one with you sometime in the short near future. Well, <laughs> you have my phone number. number. <laughs> I certainly do. And you I have my email. Yes, I do. So yeah. I would love to hear from you. And I, I open to collaboration and conversation Excellent. and seeing how we might work together. I look forward well, to okay it. I appreciate you, your hospitality and your kindness. If it's okay mm -hmm. with you, I'm going to give you a call within the next day or two because I also have some things. Uh, that I would like to uh, uh, positive things to address with you. Uh, oh, sure. That I think would would yep. be a, a good fit. So that all being said, thank you so much, Barbara Barbara Ferris. Um, thank you for being here, Bill. Thank you for having Barbara get here, and um, stay just yeah. stay on the line. We're gonna about to say good night to everybody, but we want you to to stay on for a second, okay? Sure. All right. Whoa. What a show! What a well what done, a, Norman. What a show, well, j yeah. just just great. and well done to Bill. He did a great job bringing a guest for us this evening. Yeah, you, not not bad, Billy boy. Not, <laughs> not, not bad, not bad. All right. So, if think? anybody asks about the painting behind me, it's from Claude Demberville from Haiti. Very nice. And he has painted market women his entire life. Very he, nice. See, you got so much more to talk about. Yes. We're going to have to do this again. But right now we're going to have to sign off before they charge me extra rent because these people <laughs> over here that own this place are insane. They're, 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 they're the nicest people in the world, really. Great. But thank you so much for being on. Bill, thank you. Good night, everybody. And we'll see. Good it's night, May everyone. already. It's May, night. Next, May 2nd next week. Oh, my God. All right. Well, good night, everybody. And let's go, Knicks. Good night. <laughs> see you. Bye-bye. The Business Power Hour with Lisa and the Music Man is sponsored by Media Stations. Create your own media and have your own station. To get started with your own content, call or text 516-448-2066. That's Media Stations in Bohemia, New York.